0: I am trying to work on being 100% BOLA no matter the circumstance. And I think when we all get Mm -hmm. into those situations where we're stressed, hungry, like something else is going on, when when we're uncomfortable on the outside, it's sometimes hard Mm -hmm. to keep who we are in the inside. Like you sort of succumb to what, you forget who you are and you act out of character. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. directing is filled with so much... so so many challenges every single day. Every single day there's a question, there there are different things that you need to address. And the more you are in tune and in touch with yourself, the faster you can make those decisions and the smoother everything can be despite what challenges come your way.
1: let's shoot with pete chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything visit pete to get your official podcast merch hoodies hats jackets mugs and other swag and learn more about your host
2: All right, all right. What's up, people? Welcome to episode 59 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring Bola Ogun, a fabulous director, a friend, someone whose hustle I admire. And I I really do love bringing you guys the journeys of folks who who really scrapped it up and were driven by their pursuit and persistence and their passion for their creativity to get to where they are. I'll, I'll give you a little quick update on what's going on here. Then I'll give you her credits as we dive into the interview, but it's a pleasure to have Bola Ogun, director, producer, writer, and actor on the pod for our second-to-last episode of season four. Now, uh, what's been going on, the quick updates around here. I hope everybody had a wonderful and marvelous Thanksgiving, a safe one. You got to spend time with your friends and your family and, and, you know, commiserate and commune and 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 just love on each other, because it's been a wild year for all, and that's kind of how it always is. So we all need the family time and the love and the friends and the support. So I hope everybody was able to partake in that. That's a good word, partake. And on my end, still going page by page, tweaking the final draft of our heist screenplay. As all the writers out there know, like it feels redundant to keep saying this week, after week in the uh, intro, but that's the process. And my co-writer and I, Candace McFarland, we literally hop on Zoom and we go page by page. We have about five pages of individual notes of uh, page by page things to tweak or question or dialogue that we think would be better. And then we go hop on Zoom and we read it out loud, description, dialogue, everything, scene by scene, and we just interrogate the script. As if it were a witness <laughs> or hostage until we can really feel like we're getting all of the minutiae, all of the broad strokes, all of the everything out of each scene as we plug ahead. And it's great. And, it, and it's been really dope too, because there are things that she might have felt didn't really read well. And then, like, when we read it out loud, she's like, oh, yeah, that really does work. And there's things where I'm like, oh, I don't know about that line or or that that scenario. And then we read it out loud and I'm like out loud and I'm like, yeah, that's it. So it's great. And I, I urge all of y'all to find a good writing partner because you can't, I mean, you can, people write by themselves all that, all the time. So what the fuck am I saying? But like I find it much more uh efficient to be able to have that sounding board. And while the work is not always like, it's not like somebody writes half the script, you know, I write 53 pages and she writes 53 pages. Like it's not like down the middle like that, but it actually is a 50-50 endeavor in the sense of like one person might have a strength in dialogue or more of a strength in like, you know, I feel like I'm pretty clear on how I want things to look. So the big dynamic scenes, like I might be really good at writing notes because I can be super efficient because I know what the shots are. And I'm not going to make it into a bunch of prose or exposition. And, you know, as we volley back and forth and really, like I said, interrogate the script, we end up with something that I think is really great. And so looking forward to being with being done with that in the coming days and week or weeks, uh, plural. But we will not be getting out of 2023 without a script that we start pushing ahead and trying to make. So hopefully in 2024, I'll get back in that. Feature film director's chair, and have a whole new series of episodes to share with y'all from that perspective. Other than that, oh, I think I have one question from the mailbag to get to. And this was on a comment from last week's episode 58 with Allison Liddy Brown. I hope y'all enjoyed that. There was a lot of positive feedback to that. So I appreciate that. You know what? I'm going to read some of them because. I, I, I think it's good to know that, you know, people are feeling it. And also, I encourage you all to leave comments on IG on at Pete Chapman or at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and build that community up. Because I know folks are watching, but I do feel like people could be more engaged. And, you know, those questions will get answered when you pose them. So, at Real Leal said, Allison. And Real Leo is Sharon Leo, great actor who has worked with Allison Liddy Brown. Uh, Drama Rambla, my homegirl. Creator of Reasonable Doubt said, OMG, love her so much. Paulina Simkin, wow, this is so deep and inspiring. Thank you for sharing, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. My man Big Riff said, good stuff. Johnny Ringo Stash, what an interview. Veronica Nick, so good, pronoun creative, said she's spitting fire. So this is in response to the short social clips that we put up from each episode that our editor, Tristan Nash, pulls out. And so I hope y'all will leave your comments on, on this episode and, and any other ones, whether on Instagram or YouTube. But today's question from the mailbag comes from my man, Hollis Meminger. Meminger. He says, what are your thoughts on a new director who has their first opportunity? What tips would you give them in dealing with crew or actors for the first time? Now, I'll give y'all a little backstory. I met Hollis when I shadowed on the blacklist back in December of 2015 so at the, wow at that point it, it was probably right around now I was shadowing so that is due to math, eight years ago you know shadowing in New York they were shooting at Chelsea Piers he was a I think first AC. I, and please correct me in the comments Hollis if I'm off but he was just a cool brother who, opened himself up and, and spoke to me. Not everybody does that when you shadow. Um, and we created a friendship and continue to stay in touch. And, you know, uh, I've, I've come and talked to his uh, his organization that helps uh, educate kids on on this craft. Um, and now he's a cinematographer shooting a variety of shows. So everybody's on a journey. And shout out to that brother for just being, being kind when I was walking around uh, with the instruction not to be, too much of a nuisance on, on, a, on a TV set, but he says, uh, what are your thoughts on a new director who has their first opportunity? What tips would you give them in dealing with crew or actors for the first time? And so my thoughts there are, you know, directing is a job where, you know, no matter what anybody tells you, there's nothing that can prepare you for it, you know, full stop, you, you have to do the job. And when you do the job, you'll learn what it's like to do the job. That said, I do think, you know, I'm going to say, listening to this podcast, reading my book, you can begin to get a sense of all the things that come at you. What's going to, you know, fly in your direction is going to be unique to your episode and the culture of that show and your script and whatever. Then there's the uniqueness of your temperament. But I do think that that's something, if you can go in understanding what the day might look like in the best and worst case scenarios, that is something that you can prepare for which might help you. But I think overall, you got to read that script. You got to know that script. You got to go in breaking that script down as much as possible. I think you got to read Directors Tell the Story by Mary Lou Belli. And I think you should read The Actor's Thesaurus, which provides a uh, great resource on like active words to direct your actors. And I think that you should take an acting class if you want to learn how to talk to the actors and deal with them. And really just, you know, uh, understand as much as you can what each crew position does. If you haven't shot anything, shoot some stuff, edit that thing, you know, get on set. Like I said, I mean, it's tough. I feel like I'm rambling, but you'll never be able to know everything that you, that you need to, to pull it off. But the more you have some awareness of what you're stepping into the better off you'll be. And let me just say, I, I forgot to mention there Bethany Rooney and Mary Lou Bellai on as the authors of Directors Tell the Story. But I mean that's my thing like really you got to you got to dive in and know that you're not going to know it all but try your best to just be prepared. So that would be that would be my thing and hopefully you know keep a cool head about you, be a positive vibe on set and know what you don't know. And I think that people hopefully in and in most cases will rally around you and be there to support you. When you give off the, you know, I'm not new to this, you know, swag and you're and you're fronting like you've got more skills and you do, and that you do know everything, people can see right through it. And that just um puts you in a bad position. And I think that I've shared this anecdote before, but I remember doing one of my first big like VFX sequences and I came in and I said, look, I, I, this is, I haven't done this before. I said, I got a lot of questions and I will ask people to explain some things to me like I'm five years old because the more that I understand, the better I can c- collaborate with you and, and, and be clear about what I'm trying to accomplish in a scene. And just that little icebreaker that I did at, at the top of a VFX meeting was it kind of let everybody know where, where, where I needed help. People became, you know, I'm, that's not, I was going to say anxious teachers, but that that's not the word. People became interested in helping, you know, and, and, and seeing me succeed. And I remember at the final VFX meeting, the VFX supervisor said, this is the most prepared we've had any director. And it was because I was trying to figure out how to communicate what I needed to give them. And I went and I prepared and I made sure I answered every question that they told me that they might have. So it can be a strength, not knowing, you know, if you if you embrace it and you move with, with grace. So that is my probably three, four minute answer to a probably very simple question, but that's what I got. And what we've got right now, of course, is my friend Bola Ogun. She is a director, producer, writer, like I said, actor. And I'm just give you a few of her credits right now and a bit of the breakdown that our assistant producer, Jada George, puts together every week. She's raised in Dallas, Texas. She went to the University of North Texas for musical theater and the American Film Institute for Film Cinema Studies. A first-generation Nigerian-American director known for Raising Dion, Shadow and Bone, and her short film, Are We Good Parents? Bola made her directorial television debut on Queen Sugar in 2019. now, as with any short blurb, there are so many credits not included in that. Bola directed the season finale of *Witcher*, The Witcher. Uh, she's also directed Lucifer, Legacies, Big Shot, Walker, Charmed, Godfriended Me, On the Run, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. She was a PA on True Blood in 2008. So when I tell you she, she was very persistent about going after her dream, and you can tell from those, that early credit to what she's been doing lately that this is true. So, without further ado, we're going to get into episode 59 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman, starring the one and only Bola Ogun.
1: Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take
2: one. I see a lot of bio distinctions for you. Director, producer, actress. Tell me about Bola Ogun, the actress.
0: Ha, the Bologna, and the actress yeah because she does drop off of that those bios at a certain point <laughs> yeah she started this whole thing honestly that version mm. of me who did theater my earliest one of my earliest performance memories is like third grade in elementary school there was always this like geared towards like can't break Grady Spruce it was like this like cell and we all the all the parents would come to the auditorium and we'd like put on a show to like get our parents to like pay for the camp. Like now I think about it. I'm like, that's kind of weird, but okay. <laughs> it was an excuse to like do a musical and prove that like, we really wanted this. And that was like, right. I, had a, I think I had a solo. I was part definitely part of the choir. Like I was naturally a performer. And I think that comes from, you know, it's like a cultural thing. Like Nigerians are naturally storytellers because, mm. you know, in, in the West or in England, they, they wrote everything down on scroll and everything. And in, in, in Nigeria, we told stories, we put on shows to keep our folklore alive. So I think that's where that came from. And I was just, you know, you watch movies and TV shows as a kid, all you see is the actor. So you don't even know about all the other stuff that's going on, like everything that takes to, to do that. You're just thinking, oh, that, that actor's really funny. How do they come up with these lines right. just like that? Like- right.
2: <laughs> yeah, you see, it's, like, it's almost like a uh, poor analogy, but it's like I'm looking at my iPhone right now and it's like, oh, iPhone. You know, but there's all yeah. this other stuff underneath it to to get it there. <laughs> what, what are some of the personal stories that, you know, if you don't mind sharing that, like, I imagine there were some within your family, right? That kind of communicated who you are and from whence you came. Like, what were some of those things?
0: Yeah, I mean, both of them, especially, you know, the older I get, the more I see, you know, there's that old adage that we all have of like, I don't want to be my parents. Like, I don't want to become my parents. Hmm right? Mm -hmm. But it sort of naturally happens through just because they're your tribe. Like I've been thinking about this, you know, White Lotus. I'm so glad they do the opening the way they do on that show because it's like, Mm -hmm. it's all these, you know, well, well off rich folks. You don't think of them as a tribe, but they are like, it's all just family and how you relate to each other and what the unspoken rules of that house are. And a lot of you know, the unspoken rules of our house. Well, not even unspoken. I would say that, like, we just put on shows. Like, my sisters and I, we would, I remember watching TLC music video, Creep, where they Uh were in the silk robes, you know,
2: Uh and
0: they got that. Doing that little move like this.
2: Yeah, you know, you
0: know that, right? So we did that in our living room.
2: (laughs) Right, right.
0: You know, we had the silk robes. Like, I still remember getting the silk robes. You know, we made sure we had, like, we had a purple one, right? But I think on the the in the music video was, like, a red and a blue one and a yellow one. And we got as close to that as we could, right, with, like, the cheap uh-huh. <laughs> versions. Got the fan, you know, for the wind thing. Like,
2: gotta, we have a were fan. Just <laughs> gotta have a
0: fan. Gotta have a fan. Gotta have a fan. And, you know, so that was, like, and I, I, like, now that I look back at things like that, I realized how much I've like always been a director, but didn't know that that's what I was
2: doing. (laughs) Hmm. You know, that, that is such a, a a huge, a big point or a big revelation about the job because there are all these other things about directing that are not often what are shared in a book, but then you look up and you're like, Oh wow. Like, like I had one of my early jobs, I had to make phone calls and, you know, I just got used to people not wanting to talk to me. So it didn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yep. So now yep. it's like, you're you going to get this note. You know what I mean? Like, right? It doesn't it, it doesn't, well, it doesn't it phase me, whether you want it or not. You don't have to be smiling. You don't even have to respond. <laughs> like, I, I'm going to say it. I'm going to leave. We'll see what happens. Um, so, yeah, I love that. That's the...
0: That's, you know, that's a, a trait that I wish I had more of. I think I have so much, like, mm-hmm. people-pleasing to get out of me, again, because culturally, culturally, like, there is a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, I'm older than you, so shut up and listen. Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of, and mm-hmm. then there's, of course, the, the Christian aspect of it, like the good girl culture and, you know, do mm-hmm. as you're told. All of those things are terrible for a director. Terrible. So.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it seems know? like... Uh it's working out for you, even though you've you've got work that you want to do on yourself. It seems to be working out. Um,
0: (laughs) It's personal stuff, but it's like, it's it's the second stage. Like I do feel like a cliche sometimes because you all think like you're so unique, right? I'm a unique person, Mm -hmm. I'm a new person. And then you start to really unravel the patterns that make all of us who we are. And you realize, oh, this shit is basic. Like this is a movie. I'm in my second act of my movie. And, you know, yeah. I think my midlife crisis came early because I'm in my 30s. I'm not in my 50s or 40s. But right. it's right. it's like now I'm just getting to a new stage where it's not about the pace, like the fastness of it. It's about right. stabilizing and stamina so that I can do what I'm doing but better and not burn myself right. out. Because that's really what happened. Like I went head right. on first and did all of these i'm really proud of like all the tv shows i've been doing and all the things that i got and all right. the chances and opportunities that i got but it was at the expense of like just really being an immovable mm. force all the time and it's exhausting mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> but it man but that i mean but that is that is what is required and 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 i'll put a little footnote on it i i I don't want to make it exclusive to being a filmmaker of color or a storyteller of color in an industry that's not, you know, where the reins are not necessarily controlled by people of color. But it is it is it is about being an immovable object and being but I, I don't tough. know if I'm pronouncing the word right, but like indefatigable or something like that. Right. Like, yeah, like just I I just can't I can't stop. I won't stop. You know, pick your pick your rapper axiom. I will not lose. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like and you just have to stay on it because you know that it's not necessarily gonna be served to you on a platter. And, you know, your ability to understand story like you talked about from your youth and being able to apply it to your own journey can sometimes be the reason why you take the fucking beating another year because you know where you are in your, in your journey, you know?
0: And it's exactly, it's exactly that. Being an unstoppable Uh force and making the industry move, because like you said, we don't have a lot of allies at the top. Although that has changed. Like I very much, I feel like I'm, I'm getting to a certain stage in my career because there has been such a hunger to change the way Mm -hmm. it operates. And I'm really grateful for that. And I'm like doing everything I can to like send that lasso back and pull up as many more more folks with me.
2: (laughs) That's what's up. So, So, all right. So you didn't realize you were directing on these, you know, TLC productions in the home. When did you start saying, you know what? I understand that directing is a thing and it's a thing that I would like to be a part of.
0: So I'd been in L.A. as a P.A. for about like six or seven years at that point. Five. I think a year five is when I started to realize, like, this is not why I moved to L.A. Like I'd moved Mm -hmm. to act. I did move to L.A. to act, but was working as a P.A. Like I started in Texas, moved there. Moved to moved to L.A. I did Friday Night Lights, like Prison Break. Those were my first like credits being in the industry. You know, when going to set was like still exciting, right? Like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I went to L.A. worked as a PA because I was like, you know, I, I all you hear when you're not in the business is how important it is. Like, it's all about who you know. It's all about who you know, right? Little did I know there's several ways to look at that, but I right. didn't know anybody, so I I figured being a PA was going to be one of the ways to get me there. And and I, in some ways I was right. This is what I mean by the look. Some ways I was right, but not in the way that I thought, which was you know, some like 1920s version of what I thought Hollywood was. It's like, You're a hard worker kid. I'm going to give you a shot. What do you want to do? Anything I can see it. Right. In you, you yeah, you know. Meet me at the gates of <laughs>
2: Paramount tomorrow at noon. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. You know, so that's what I thought, like somebody's going to see how hard I'm working as a production assistant and then they're going to ask me what I want to do. And you, we all know that that's not really how it works. So it's about year five that I started going like, what am I doing? This is not why I moved here. Like I wanted to be creative. I'm just spending a lot of hours, you know, learning a lot. And like it's a lot of the reason why I feel like I'm the director I am today. But I I did need to make a pivot and that's when I started writing my first short film The Water Phoenix and I got into the AFI directing workshop for women about year six or seven of PAing but and living in LA off of off uh, of
2: the script of that short or off of off of the final product of that short
0: so oh of the script of the script because I actually had not shot a short film by the time I was applying for the AFI directing workshop for women, and for those who don't know, AFI okay. is the American Film Institute. It's one of the most prestigious film schools in the world. Really, a lot of our famous big cinematographers come from there. A few, like, a lot of directors, writers, like it, it, honestly, every discipline in the film industry—you mm-hmm. could name more than a handful of, of creatives who came from that space. And so, their summer program is the directing workshop for women. And it's always been very competitive. Now, today, it's nearly impossible because every woman has like tons of work and like, you know, accolades and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, at the time, I'd only shot like a music video called Another Girl Shakes Mm -hmm. Her Butt. (laughs) And it's exactly what you think it is.
2: Were there Um, fans? (laughs) Huh? Were there any fans in that uh, music video?
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there were friends. No, no fans. No
2: fans. Oh no, I mean like I mean like a literal fan, like a you know
0: Oh like no, I know what you meant. Yeah. I was like, no, no literal fan. I realized I caught on to what you were saying and I was like, oh no, that would have been good though. My hair was too short. I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> but like I thought it on like a Sunday downtown LA, you know, when nobody's there, and mm-hmm. just stole a couple of locations and inspired by like SNL's way of like, you know, just making a music video, they just wanna see at that time, they just wanted to see that you could make a story, that you could tell a story that you like what was your a taste of your voice and that was mine that was a taste of my voice even though the short film is completely different but the water phoenix i got through with the script and that little music video and and then on the backs of like my recommendations and i also printed out like i made i still do this today for the tv shows that i that i do basically like a Pinterest, like a bunch of the photos like concept art that showed what right. I was trying to do, like I'd already sourced where I was going to get the tail. It was it was the black it was my my short film that was a black mermaid who's captured in an aquarium and fell in love with her, the marine biologist that she's working with again, Little Stockholm
2: syndrome kind of deal. <laughs> yeah well, and and wait, I just want I just want to pit stop right there. who because oh, yeah. I can imagine at that point of your journey. I was going to say career. I'll say career. Cause you know, I was going to say career and I was like, maybe she'll correct me and say, well, I hadn't gotten started yet, but I'm going to say that's your career because it's all part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, at that part, I'm assuming getting the recommendations was like, Oh shit. Who do I call That's I don't know if they were DGA members or whatever. Like who recommended you and how did you secure their favor?
0: I mean, it's honestly the same thing that gets me work today. It's like, it's, It was a lot of people that I knew as a PA. There was one director, Marco Siega, who I knew from first season Mm. of True Blood. And he's Mm -hmm. still today one of my best mentors and hired me for a show when I finally started getting going, too. So he is one of the fine people that are true to their word and truly believe in you. And it's not just like, you know, they believe in they know they he is one guy like actually did see how hard I was working. And then it was in his mind, you know. So he wrote my recommendation letter. There were two other, there was like one other f- director who had done the program before. I asked her for her recommendation letter. Her name was Amy Amy French. She's also an actress director. And then one more that I can't remember, but it was, it's, it's funny because like, it's probably, no, that's not, yeah. It's probably the like a big, bigger one that I now, I haven't thought of in a minute. But yeah, those three recommendation letters and that's how I do it like all the time because I applied to several, I'm like, you know, I've yeah. done several programs, so I had to do that process a lot, which is part of why I can't yeah. remember who wrote the fifth one, third one, but it's
2: yeah. been a long yeah. yeah Okay. So, sorry. I just wanted to stop there because I know like for folks who are, you know, whether they're looking at programs or, or even, I don't know if you're looking at film schools, whatever it might be, or maybe you just need to tap the shoulder. Like a, a, another example of this is like, you know, I write about this in, in, in my book, but like. When I was trying to get my first episode, Todd Holland had tapped Kenya Barris's shoulder. You know what I mean? And it's like that's another version of the recommendation. But like you, 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 you—it's always about like you have you have mentors and you have cheerleaders, right? And you have to you have to show and prove so people can have something to be inspired by from you, like Marcos was. But then you have to be able to identify what part. Of your journey, those people might play.
0: I like the cheerleaders. I never thought about that because I call a lot of these guys my mentors, and I'm sort of realized lately. I'm like, but are they like? I can't throw that word. Or it's the same thing as word like friend, right? Like you throw the word uh-huh. around, but how many people actually know you? Actually, like understand you? Right. And I feel that way about the word mentor because I'm trying to like really, you know, the less is more thing, like so that I can reach out more mm-hmm. often and. and talk to them about any little thing which is what that position is supposed to be about but the cheerleader i have a lot of cheerleaders and that's because you know i made fun of it earlier but it is some of it people seeing me as a pa and seeing that work but also seeing that i wasn't just talking about it i was doing it you know i was going out and i was shooting something with a couple friends and then putting it out there i was going to write a script and then submitting to programs I was um, making another short, then my second short, Are We Good Parents? That's the one that actually went somewhere, right? Mm. the first one, the first part of my career, The Water Phoenix, that was the big budget sci-fi, you know, mermaids. I wanted to do fighting.
2: Well, when I saw you swimming in an aquarium, I said, oh shit, you know, (laughs) like for a short film, I'm like, okay, they're not playing around. She's inside the aquarium and the camera is inside the aquarium. So, I mean, that, that, that I know what it takes to do that on your first short. Exactly.
0: And I've worked on a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff even before, you know, that I'm grateful for that experience because I know that like, no matter how much money or how little money you have, it's always going to feel like you don't have enough money or time. And I'm really grateful Mm -hmm. to have that knowledge because I think if I'd come solely from the filmmaker, like indie filmmaker, where you're always kind of going, I wish I had more money. I wish I had more time. I wish I had more money and time. I could now, with my with my background, understand that that shit doesn't change with the more money and time that you have. And so right. that's how I did the Water Phoenix with that mindset. I was like, I'm, I wanted to do something that you know was VFX, stunts and you know animals, kids. I wanted to do all the hard things and put them in my first short film because right. I wasn't playing around. I was I was very much thinking this might be my only shot. And if I'm going to shoot my shot, it better have everything I want to do in the future because people are going to look back at that and go, oh, well, this is what you do. Like if they'd seen, if I'd done Are We Get Parents before The Water Phoenix, you know, I could still be happy with that trajectory, you know, actors, Mm -hmm. comedy, relationship stuff and things about deeper, like current social issues. I could be very happy in that direction, but that's not the only direction I want to go in. And because I have these two the different projects, I I have now shown my range. I have now shown what I can do. And that's really served me.
2: Did you have to raise the money for both of those films or does the program support in any fashion?
0: No, you have to raise you have to raise everything. I we did I did an Indiegogo first, which did not make its goal. And I and I even hired like a, a campaign manager. I'm actually really glad I did that because I learned a lot from the process going through that. Cause then the second time I did it, I did a Kickstarter, and then now I had footage Uh because before people would see my storyboards and like what I wanted to do, like shooting underwater. They were like, "How are you going to shoot underwater?" And I'm like, "There's literally a camera box that goes over it." Like,
2: (laughs) right, right.
0: Like it's not you you put that on the on the camera, and then you put that in the water, and suddenly you have an underwater shot. It's not that hard. Booms. (laughs) But people were still asking. You know, they're like, "Is it animated?" I can't tell. Like, how are you going to pull this off? And right. the, so the second time around was much easier. We did make our goal because now I had a little like trailer to show them all the underworld. What was your goal? The first goal for the Indigo, I think was was 15,000. I think I made it to 10,000 and mm. 10% of that went to paying for the campaign manager. <laughs> right, right, right.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> and then the second one, well, like, yeah, the second, and then the Kickstarter, I think the goal was again about 15,000. I think it was about mm-hmm. fifteen thousand, maybe twenty, and then. But I also got a grant. Like that's another untapped thing. I think sometimes people forget about with the crowdfunding stuff is that there are also grants that are available, and I got one of those. And their only stipula- stipulation was like, well, not only they, you know, you needed to know what you were doing, you needed to present a plan, but they also right. couldn't be paying for your whole film. So they basically paid for the aquarium. You know, at the end of the day, that's that's what I got for it. So that was really helpful. <laughs> right. I would not well, that, have been able to do the part.
2: I mean, it looks like, you know, it, it I your plan and your objective hops off the screen because I feel like when you when you see things that you know it takes coordination and creativity and skill to execute, like putting a camera in 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 an aquarium and having a, a character, you know, in a in a well-designed mermaid suit and all the extra like vfx stuff and then the fact that the director is starring in it you know it's interesting like i wonder do you still show that film and does it help you with you know communicating to people what your range of abilities are
0: yes and yes i think that short was sent as latest as two years ago to get me a job Uh, you know yeah and it wasn't even amongst my reps it was like you know someone's friend knew some like knew a friend of mine and that person was like you gotta see Bolo short, because it sounds like Mm -mm. you talk about her they sent the short and like i love it it was like you know a black female showrunner too so she was like oh bet like (laughs) right black mermaid she was doing it first like yes so (laughs) right so, you know, I, I and that's something that I could, yeah, it is amazing. It's, I, I, I'm so grateful. Like I even, this is my first tattoo. It's my only tattoo. I got that. There you go. It's my mermaid tattoo.
2: Dope. Dope. How long did that take?
0: <laughs> Three hours.
2: Three hours. All right. All I right. I got
0: it in Bali. It's like the best story in <laughs> everything.
2: On a whim or you were like, yeah, how do you, how do you end up getting a tattoo in Bali?
0: That was a plan, yo. That, like, I was, that was going to Bali anyway, but then it was like, oh, I should go. Like when I'm there, I should get a tattoo, you know? And it was a female artist too. And she's great. Like I, I want to get tat- tatted by her again for sure. And yeah. it was just, you know, part of the story, part of like putting it on my body and like going there and, and starting this self-realization journey that you're hearing now. So,
2: mm. I love it. So wh- what's the pivot from... The Water Phoenix and Are We Good Parents to getting that first episode of television? I know you've you've kind of talked about, like, you know, Ava DuVernay and Queen Sugar, but, like, yeah, like, what's the strategy?
0: Lots of trying to shadow, listen, and reach out and not be afraid of being told no and not taking their no personally, like, understanding that it could be a no, not right now, Instead of just, no, you should give up. Like, I feel right. like that can be hard for some
2: folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> know and die.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically. Uh, and so, you know, I think that was the immo- movable, unstoppable force part of me because I ran through just reaching out to everybody that I worked with and looking at, opportunities to shadow be it with the program I actually teach, teach a, a class and I'm going to teach a class soon so I'm actually really glad that you're doing this because I can talk about the fact that I'm going to teach a class I'm shadowing and I've taught it before so I'm like just it's just been me gearing up to teach it again and right. I've really just been trying to sort through everything I've learned but one of the things I did in my strategy was reach out to directors to shadow I shadowed eight I think eight or nine total directors that I shadowed, and only two of them came through a, through a program.
2: Right. Who were some of those directors?
0: Some great ones. Like through through half, I was with Brad Felczyk. And one of my favorite ones was Michael Lehman. He is one of those that I consider a director. Michael Lehman, he directed Heathers. He's done a lot of like his dark comedy stuff, is all that way. And Marcos, um, I shadowed David Fincher on Mindhunter, and that was amazing. He's still someone who teaches me a bunch of stuff about his work. I'm really grateful Did for him. Did you
2: get to like take 85 on anything with him?
0: <laughs> no, you know, it's like, and people joke about how many takes he does, but he actually, when I was there watching it, he doesn't do a lot of takes. He does do, well, I mean, he does a lot of takes, but it's like, it's more setups that I saw than, than like takes, hmm. you know, he's very, mm-hmm. he's a lot more. Cause when you hear it, it sort of sounds like he's just sort of, Seeing what works or like what happens, but it's so much more strategic than that.
2: (laughs) Right, 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 right. You know,
0: he's he just has the luxury. He's protected himself in his schedule to have the luxury. Like if there's that one little thing wrong, I'm going to go again. Like he's very much one of those guys who like very clear boundaries, never crosses Mm -hmm. that boundary. Everybody knows it. He will walk away if you don't give him 10% of what he's asking for and that's one of the best mm-hmm. lessons I got from him was never be afraid to walk away. Always mm-hmm. there's power in the no.
2: Right. 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 And so so you shadow eight directors and then yeah. you're reaching out to your network.
0: Yeah, just activating like it's one of those like, you know, corporate words, activating the network and right. <laughs> like getting them you know, to 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 trust in me, to believe in me, to let them see them work, right? Like, I never approached it as, like, I'm doing this so I can get a job. I'm doing this so you can help me get a job or anything like that. It was purely, like, I really like what you do, and I want to learn from you. I want to learn mm-hmm. how you do what you do. And mm-hmm. keeping that hunger, keeping that same energy, no matter at what stage I am, you know? Because they're going to respect that more than the work that you've done.
2: right right that's this is all very wise you know what i mean like to understand like the the awareness campaign of of working professionally in an industry that's built on relationships you know so how did the how did the reach out come for queen sugar
0: that was after are we good parents i did is one of the like places you know, uh, 2000, what was it? 17. That was a very broke year for me. Like I never been, <laughs> never been more struggle, more broke than 2017. But that's because I made the, like the, the official switch from being an assistant and being, being like working and focusing on other stuff other than myself. I made the hard switch to just directing and it was right. the most creative year. And that's Was also the most broken so that's the year i made are we good parents that's the year i did the Robert rodriguez rebel without a crew and and he's one of the mentors that i was actually going to bring up too is he's somebody i can reach out to at any time because of that show and then the next year is when it went to uh south by southwest my short was there as well that got me reps and then in the summer it went to this ant shape awards which i don't know if it exists anymore but AT&T used to do this thing called Film Shape Awards and they picked three films to show there and you would get a cash prize and it uh, depending on you know audience audience review and then there's also a co-host there's always a, a influential filmmaker to be the co-host of the year and that year was Ava DuVernay so mm. she would seen my film beforehand she would seen the audience's reaction to my film and then in the like 30 minute round table mentorship that we had with the other two filmmakers i think she just she saw me and i'm great she started following me on it, like all my socials that day and like the next season of queen sugar i get a call from my manager saying hey queen sugar's asking your availability i'm like what no just when when that i'm available yeah. like when right, when right. right now be- i
2: can i can <laughs> shoot tomorrow
0: tomorrow like <laughs> yeah Tomorrow, anything. So that's how that happened. Like, that happened. She saw my short that way.
2: That's awesome, man. Testament to to what she has accomplished with that show and the amount of filmmakers who had their first time directing television, which is the hurdle. It's always like, well, you haven't done it before. And particularly if you've come from another... um I don't, I don't know if it's not, uh, it's medium or whatever. If you've done features or commercials or whatever, like, they're always going to be like, well, TV is, you know, so different. So, like, to be able to get that first one in the can and show that you can accomplish it is, you know, it's a lifeline to directors.
0: It is. It is. And it doesn't come with, you know, with risk. She's just one of those people who doesn't give a shit about the risks. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what risk? Like, just hire them, right? But right. I think it was also the fact that, like, I had... I've been, I was not only passing on the knowledge I got at that point, I'd already taught two classes for my workshop. So I was right. telling her like, I'm teaching shadowing. I'd also shadowed at that point. Um, so I was like, I'd shadowed seven directors. I've been a part of the uh-huh. industry. I know people, but like, I still can't get that, that one, you know? And it's interesting, right. like part of me used to resent it, right? Like, I knew all these people, they know I'm working really hard. They see me they see that what I'm doing is working and still they won't, they're not able, they're not either not able or won't give me a job. Right. And you'll never right. know what it is unless you're with that person without being you, honestly.
2: <laughs> right. 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 Um, right.
0: But I was not, I was, it wasn't happening. And it's interesting because after she hired me, it was like, suddenly everyone's like, oh, Bola. Yeah. We, we knew that. We knew that. Bola. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. nobody could do mm-hmm. it until someone who didn't know me did it. You know? Right. Right. So then, that started a whole fire because my first year directing, I did six episodes, six or seven episodes.
2: Yeah, no that that's that's a strong start. So what were they? <laughs> how did they? If if you remember, I may be going into the archives a little too deep into the the memory, but could, do you remember how they all kind of unfolded? How you how you got them? Oh yeah, for
0: sure. So first, it was Clean Sugar through the way I just said, and then I would, my second time applying to the Warner Brothers program I got in, you know, I think those like, there's a lot of things, you know, I kept going back to Warner Brothers and meeting with execs. And I was like, wait, are they like going to hire me? Or am I just going to keep doing general meetings again? (laughs) It's one of those things. You know, you just have to like, just be patient and just keep doing the meetings. Because they're just trying to get to know you and understand like, who you are. And that's how I got into the Warner Brothers program. And through that program, I was hired to do legacies. Legacies Mm. and... Lucifer, I think came, and Lucifer kind of came. So legacies, I feel like is was purely the program that was Mm -hmm. like, you know, that was the one that I got in. But then because of the Queen Sugar, because then she also does those big announcements, which are really great because it gets people really looking at you, and it was a big splash. Like not often are you gonna do a first episode of anything, and like it be a parade. You know,
2: right. And so that's
0: one of the other gifts that happens when you get one of her shows. So then like Lucifer came because and Joe put this Joe Henderson, one of the showrunners, put this on Twitter. He said, I found Bola because she was not only in the Warner Brothers program, but also one of Queen Sugar's directors. And that that is what convinced him to hire me. So then through the program, I now had two episodes. And then Marcos is a, you know, Warner Brothers. He's one of the kings over there, right? And so mm-hmm. he hires me for one of his shows. So now I'm, like, right. three episodes, bang, 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 through this program. Through right. this program, I use that usually. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. but just the all the relationships are coming together, you know? And that's what they mean by, like, laying down the, the work. You never know how it's all going to pop up. And that's how it was popping up for me. I mean- and then there was Siren. Siren, that was a fluke, too, because, it's like, how many mermaid shows are there? Like,
2: right. <laughs> They're like so we've they're got like, the oh. perfect director.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and the lead, the lead, the was like, "You're our first mermaid director. You're our first That's
2: director. hilarious.
0: Done it before, so there was that one, and then the last one of the season. That season was Big Shot. That was from Bill D'Alia, another one of my my mm. mentors. Bill DeLia, really great director who's worked with David E. Kelly for all of the night, like. He, I don't think there's a TV show he hadn't touched in the 90s. Like, right. I feel like he did everything. He was one of those guys. Um, right. And he's really supported me too. And so by the time I got, like he's one of the ones I shadowed the year before I actually started getting hiring. I shadowed him on Grand Hotel. And so he'd hired me for my last episode that season which was Big Shot.
2: I just, now I'm just wondering because there, there was such a you know you can choose your words whether it's faith, you know, but like Let's just use that. It, it feels like there was such a faith in things playing out if you approached the world the way that you approached it. Had that type of approach, that type of faith, been proven in something else you'd done prior to this pursuit?
0: I mean, you know, I think a lot of it was sort of blind faith of just, you know, mm-hmm. that you'll, you work hard and you get, which feels like the most generic version of, what I was feeling. But I think I just really wanted to tell stories. People could see that. They could see the passion. But I think through my work, their understanding of what I did as a production assistant and how I would mm-hmm. I worked on a lot of things as a PA. Like I was and I was never really tied down to there was only a very there's very few shows that I feel like I was like part of the show family, you know, where right. like you're always there. Like I was very much a, a always day player. I would come in and out on a lot of shows. But, you know, the relationships I made on the family shows and the relationships I made when I day played, those were really strong because people could just see that if I was going to be there, I was going to handle it. <laughs>
2: right. right <laughs> you know, right.
0: whatever my job was, I was going to handle it.
2: <laughs> so that that makes me want, now I have a, two, a two-part question. It'll come one part at a time, though. What are like, I don't know, two or three anecdotes of things that happened while you were a PA where you, like you just said, where you handled it, where it was like something that does not go in the job description, but is crucial to the success of making the day of the show. And like you stepped in and you, you know, did what needed to be done as a PA.
0: There's so many, those are deeper. Well, I'd say, yeah, I'd say a couple of them. And I will start with one where I did something wrong and it was a big, it was a big one and, Well, I guess, you know, now looking back, it wasn't that big, but at the time it felt big and my reaction to it got me more, Hmm. got me, got me a different kind of attention, which was interesting. I I was working on Glee and it was like the season finale episode and there's a part where they're like on a train and the train, like, and that cast is very hard to keep focused for obvious reasons. Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, like trying to get them all focused and they were all there. They're trying to get them all focused. And so for the train to go at the certain time, the stop for everybody to come off, all, you know, there was a lot of coordinating that was happening. And right. I can't even remember what my specific thing on that day was supposed to be, but I was supposed to either cue the train or stop the train, something like that. My job was with the train where the cast was and something happened, something missed. And the first AD, you know, was known for like really putting the hammer down you know if you if you messed up you knew it you know and instead of i think the normal energy of you know oh like sorry, it started like it was it was me admitting taking ownership of that mistake and instead of making an excuse instead of feeling personally attacked and made like made fun of on channel one which we all know right. channel one is I said, I took it with grace, probably most grace, more grace than I remember. Like mm. that, at that point I'd been in my career for a minute as a PA. So I think I just was like, copy that, got it, will not happen again, you know? And I think it was right. the cut and dryness of we don't really have time for the back and forth. We're just going to do it again and like, you know, make sure it happens. And it, and right. from then on, it did happen, right? And there was right. no like blah, right. whatever. And I remember the like the second AD came to me afterwards and was like, "I really like how you handled that situation." And he'd never said yeah. anything. And I'd done tons of things right for that show, Glee. That was a hard show,
2: <laughs> right? But people, but, people see you in adversity. It's how you respond to the adversity that can that's more defining, as far as your personality, right?
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's one story where like. People who were there that day or people who know me and people who I don't even didn't even think I think I saw that saw me saw me, you know, Mm -hmm. that's one instance. Another instance is like any indie show I did. I'll say kind of parallel and it will come to the same thing I was saying earlier about how it really didn't matter how big or small the show was or the movie was. You're still gonna run into the same thing. So, on the one spectrum, I did this movie Mark Ruffalo directed. His, I don't know if he's directed since, but it was his debut. It was called Sympathy Uh for Delicious. Okay. And I was, it was super low budget. Like, we had had zero money, even though we had big stars in the movie. We had Orlando Bloom, Juliette Lewis. Like, it was big people and no money, (laughs) you know? So, like, and there were a lot of rainy days. I don't know what it was that year, but that year was super. (laughs) wet and like all of we had these warehouses that we were holding background in like i was very much in charge of getting extras through hair and makeup and making sure that that was done that was basically the same job i had on the dark knight rises much Mm. bigger Mm. movie much more money much more time much more everything and i had to deal with like you know like 200 300 cops getting 200 300 Mm. cops ready getting getting 100 PA's help set or t- take the PA's that I was in charge of to get all the background done. So there's managing the managing, right? right and right. you know, I remember like not only getting them through hair and makeup in different ways, you know, like there's different coordinate, different coordinating, but also putting them on set and charting where they were on set, charting their movements so that if we ever had to reshoot it or shoot something differently, we knew exactly. <laughs> We knew exactly where they were and what they were doing.
2: (laughs) Right. Right. And what is that? Like is it like a like almost like a a football diagram of like, you know, where people are going in arrows and, you know, these people are born from January to June (laughs) and the first to the fifteenth, they're moving fast. And like, you know, like what is it? How are you how are you breaking that down?
0: Yes, and (laughs) is is what I'll say. Mm. It really is all of those tools. It really is yeah. all of those tools. Yeah. It's, it's the birthday trick. It's the... I took pictures. And at that time, I had this big... You know, on my phone, I had that otter... You know, the otter box with the... So that it, like it's basically indestructible to any... How you treat it. Well, at right. the time, mine was like Barbie pink. And I don't know why I had that one. Because I wasn't really ever a pink person. I say that as I'm sitting here with my pink. But I'm not really a pink person. But I... I I had that, and you know, Christopher Nolan is notorious for not having any, like, no no phones, no chairs, no, like, you are at attention when you're on his sets, and so nobody used your phones on that set. Like, that was the only set where that was, like, the case, and one day, one of my cameras to take pictures of the background was broken, and I was like, fuck, what am I to do? Like, I need to chart, you know, and I I can write everybody's names, but it's easier when I have both their names and the photos, and I could just... You know, right, grab them.
2: Right, right.
0: My my counterpart like was two PAs in chartered background. One in charge of them when they get set. One in charge of the base camp. I was a base camp person, but once I came up, I helped manage set. She told her name is Crystal. She told me, "Well, why don't you just use your phone?" And I was like, "You want me to use this bright ass pink phone to take photos right. on a Christopher Nolan set, right?" Honey, no, I'm not doing that.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: I like my job. I like my job. I like the people around me. And so I, you know, it just, that's a cute little antidote, but that's not really telling you like the skill set of what it is. No, but, but, but almost, but,
2: but there is something there in, in hearing, it's like what's underneath, you know, the, the, the request, right? Like knowing that despite my needs, there, there's a maybe one in a million chance that, this is going to be a public shaming if I pull out yeah. this paint camera to help them make their movie. You know what I mean, even if I think that it's uh, it, it's not obtrusive for whatever reason, it's how we're rolling here. And it's very much how we have to adapt as directors as we go to different homes, right? like we we are given the title director, but we don't have carte blanche control of all the keys and the and the and the you know tools in the house. So my part two of that question is, you know, what was your, what's been your director version of that? Where it was kind of like, okay, now I'm directing. This is uh, my introduction to this director's chair. If you have a couple anecdotes that kind of speak to that, because I'm wondering how similar they might be. (laughs) <laughs> between being a PA and being a director. That that's kind of where I've been coming from in this. That's
0: moment. where you're coming from. I see. I mean, yeah, and honestly, in several ways I can see the same person because a lot of it is like if something's wrong, I tend to like sing and dance over it, you know? <laughs> like that's sort <laughs> of I think what the theme of hmm of my life has been, honestly, is like, if there's a problem, it's okay. Sing and dance, imagine something else. And that's like what we do. And last year I was working on the Witcher and we were shooting in Morocco. Really exciting. It's July. It's really hot. And uh, we get there and we're shooting and we find out that it's, it's sandstorm season and (laughs) (laughs) we find out it's sandstorm season and we yeah. Inevitably lose. Like I'm shooting the first day I'd lost my first AD and my DP, my first AD to, to, you know, like there was a lot of stomach issues because anytime people go and eat in Morocco, they, they people hear that there's some stomach issues just because the, the water is different, you know, and right. then heat stroke. So it's mm. like I, it, I'm the only one on set who has been there before and I have to tap into <laughs> my old training to guide the set, to, to make the day, you know, I think in a lot of ways, my, my producing, my, my, my production experience kicked in there because now I'm filling in for three jobs. (laughs) And then I did make it through that scene, but then I look in the distance as we're about to make our company move. I look in the distance and I see a sandstorm heading straight for us.
2: (laughs) Now, what does that look like? I'm imagining like, Something from a from a a big studio movie,
0: right? Like the Mummy. Like that's the thing that we <laughs> that you can. Yeah, share. yeah. Honestly, it kind of looks like, especially if it's far enough, it sort of looks like a, a thunderstorm from far away. You uh-huh. just see the like the dark misty. Like if you replace the dark mistiness with dark dustiness, that's what you're seeing Man. in in the far deep. And I'm like, is that what I think it is? I'm like let's let's all company move and see what we can do. You know, I'm still trying to like direct right. and do a, a rehearsal while the winds and uh, everything's getting, you know. And Crazy. so you know, inevitably we have to shut down, and we all go back to the hotel, and everybody's looking at you know me because they're like, well, the director's going to be pissed, right? Like that's what they're expecting. And instead, right. because I'd mentioned it earlier with the producer Sasha Harris, I love her; she's great, a great dancing partner. Because I was making fun of her for not knowing. Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Like, I was like, <laughs> you don't know? <laughs> you don't know? My girl likes dance, like, party all the time. My girl likes party <laughs> all the time. So I started singing that. When we were at the production office, we were shut down for who knows when, trying to figure out another plan. And I'm like, listen, there's nothing that uh-huh. any of us can do about this sandstorm, but I'll be damned if I'm going to make it, like, bring me down. So.
2: I love it. Man. Yeah. All right, so I appreciate you taking the time to to, to weave that answer together cuz I I just feel like sometimes the the our our journey where we are in the beginning to where we aspire to be and then we'll probably go further beyond that but like it can seem like it's so different and so, you know, far out of reach, but a lot of times like once you find out who you are, you're use, you're just navigating it based off of how based off of where you are in the hierarchy of the information that's flying at you, on one level you, you're you know coordinating things. On another level, you're deciding what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I, and you know that's the sort of thing that I'm sorting through. Right? Is like what is me, and mm-hmm. what is truly me, and what was a survival mode me. Mm. you know Mm. and i think for a lot of us in survival mode when we were in survival Mm. mode it's very hard to see what's going on around you what's going on like and so that's why you can look at stuff like that and say well that situation is completely different like i don't understand how it's the same but like your reaction it either it stays it stays true to whatever who you truly are you know no matter what so that's what people are looking for when they're looking when they're looking for directors anybody who's like wondering like how do i You need to reveal who you truly are. And that's what people are going to see because it's going to show up over and over again. It's a cycle.
1: This is Alison Liddy-Brown, director of Grey's Anatomy. You're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook is Pete Chapman's book from Michael Weezy Productions. The reviews are in... Greg Berlanti says, there's a reason why everyone who works with Pete falls in love with his work. The lessons he imparts here are invaluable. Do yourself a favor and read it cover to cover. From Sarah Gamble, Pete's sharing gold nuggets that will spare you a ton of wasted time and help you channel your drive, talent, and ambition in the most productive way. And from Jesse Williams, this business has everything to do with preparation and expectations. Transitions grounds lessons in reality while empowering our artistry to run free, not an easy balance to execute. Transitions, a director's journey and motivational handbook, is available on Amazon and anywhere else you get your books. Don't forget about your mom and pop shops, people.
2: So, and maybe I'm reaching too deep into this, but is it, are, are, are you? Are you on a quest to be like 100% BOLA while directing? Or do you think that there is still, semantics get me, so I'm trying to pick the right word. No, that's nice. <laughs> do, do you Do you think that there is still, I was going to say requirement, but I didn't like how that sounded. So now I'm I'm going to say do you still think that there is a place for governing perhaps who you are while not eliminating your true self so you can manage situations strategically I don't I don't know if that's if that if, if that even makes sense you know what I mean but
0: it, it makes perfect sense. And that's exactly what I'm talking about is being able to stay true to yourself and hold those. What you're talking about is boundaries because mm-hmm. when you act out of character, I never understood the, the terms acting out of character or you forgot yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that I am, I am trying to work on being a hundred percent Bola, no matter the circumstance. And I think when we all get mm-hmm. into those situations where we're stressed, hungry, like something else is going on, when, when we're uncomfortable on the outside, it's sometimes hard mm-hmm. to keep who we are in the inside. Like you sort of succumb to what you forget who you are and you act out of character. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. directing is filled with so much, so much, so many challenges every single day. Every single day there's a right. question, there are, there are different things that you need to address and the more you are in tune and in touch with yourself, the faster you can make those decisions and the smoother everything can be despite what challenges come your way.
2: Right. Now, what if... <laughs> I'm like, does you what? understand? Did it make sense? <laughs> that, no, that, no. That, that totally makes sense. Now, now I'm just kind of, I'm, about, I'm just fucking with you right now. But, you know, oh, okay, what, yeah. what What if what I normally want to do is yell and scream at people, but I don't. Yeah. See,
0: that's and, you. and and
2: and <laughs> and so then when when something happens and I do, I'm not actually acting out of character. I'm being myself. That's the. Well,
0: I can I can tell you, but if you're, I feel like you you're still sort of responding to the external thing, right? You're frustrating mm-hmm. me, so I'm mm-hmm. going to give you the aggression back, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. There's obviously reasons for that time and place for that. But I think that there's a way, like I'm sort of in that mode where I'm really trying to not raise my voice, trying to raise my words. Because mm. if I raise my words instead of my voice, you can still respect me. It's not it's not me emotionally abusing you. It's me yeah. telling you what needs to be done so that we can move forward with the day, which is the purpose of the day. Let's not lose focus. Let's not forget right. who we are, what we're doing here.
2: All right. No, I I, right? I love that, and I'm 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 I am be, I was being facetious. The one the one thing though that I would say, and I and I saw this on on like on my first feature, you know, there was somebody who was just kind of, you know, he was an asshole, and it was like, you know, he was just kind of coming to, you know, knocking heads with so many different department heads. Of, and and he was a department head as well. Um, and I figured it would work itself out. Like we're all adults, but yeah. it culminated in me, like really having to kind of talk real loose and, and, and kind of puff up on them. And then we were good. And it's interesting because some people, that's what they need to Like like you you're hopping out of character, and for them, that's a normal exchange. Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes it's like being able to like be yourself exactly like you're saying, but then sometimes like go to the toolkit necessary that might be out of character, but it's not because you recognize how to get the train back on track. So it's more of a tactic. It's such a, it's such a it's such a it's very nebulous.
1: Yeah. yeah
0: but that's what I would do for that's what, yeah. that's the word I would use for that I wouldn't so much say it's like you stepping it's you using a tactic that's different mm-hmm. you know yeah. what I mean like especially when you can when you're when you're able to recognize what someone else needs honestly that's what you're doing is you're recognizing this person needs to be told like this what's going mm-hmm.
2: on mm-hmm. yeah a, it's really yeah. interesting. I, I talk about and I, I'm sure I've said it on the podcast before for anybody who's like yeah I know dog uh, but, but but you know I I talk about like the my my level up when we get back to work and before we struck was like really work elevating the my what I call the theater of directing and mm-hmm. and part of that is like there's a there is a performative aspect of it when I'm sure you've shadowed folks where like there's just a performative aspect of what they do that people have decided to agree makes you makes the collective feel like directing is happening, right? whether it's like <laughs> yeah not, but you know you know what I mean, right? Where it's like whether it's and a you. personality or a particular like and and I feel like you know, having seen that and also having digested it and experienced it, like I like that, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm not necessarily like, it, it might be contrary to having a fucking podcast and a book, but like, no, I'm very like intro, like rather just watch and not talk, you know what I mean? But like I learned long ago, like that's not gonna work. So I feel like it's the same thing where it's like, I love, there's a performative, what's the performative aspect of this that I can adopt and adapt to my personality and keep it true but add this like thing to the sauce that i know you know can be a difference maker because also like being a pd i know how people talk about the other directors that come through and 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 sometimes what they like about a director is the performative aspect it ain't because i would be like the episode ain't better fucking episode ain't better you know what i mean like like fundamentally yeah. like not you know but like what how they saying? were made to curious. feel. Sorry,
0: I'm interrupting a lot.
2: Well, <laughs> you know, oh, no, no, no. I mean, this is a its a conversation. I mean, I think there's, I mean, I've had like conversations with people don't like. A lot of times it's style. So I guess that's fundamentally what it is. What I'm talking about is style, the performative style, right? Like a lot of times, like it'll be the way that they, they are too prescriptive. You know what I mean? And like, look, I've, I've thought about it every single thing you're going to do, say, but, like, I don't present that to you, right? But some folks do. It might be a little old school with it. <clears throat> or or they might be cool with number one, but then they see how they talk to, like, number five and six, and they would be like, I didn't like that. Or they move too slow. Or it's, you know, why are we doing this shot? Or, like, you know, sometimes, too, like, actors work on a variety of things, and they've got their, like, uh, <laughs> they've got their... They start thinking they know they know more than they, they feel like they should be directing. And then there's that commentary. So, you know, it's it's an interesting job that's not totally based on the merit. And I think where we both are right now, where we are clearly, I don't want to be presumptive, but we're we're working, people seem to come back to us, right? Now it's like, well, what what, what are the other things that can go into the toolbox? And it's not your it's not necessarily your shot listing Bola or your blocking or your you know, communication and meetings, like you've got that. Like, what else you can't, you want to elevate that, but what else can you be putting into the pot that would also, you know, help you be the best bowler behind the camera?
0: Hey, you're so fucking cool. Like, you, like you just, you're so cool. I feel like, honestly, I'm just trying to get, like, I think from day one of meeting you, like, you and Mo, like, you guys are. I think you guys have so clearly your style literally in your fashion. Like I heard once that like fashion is an indicator of like who you are. And I'd never took that seriously hmm. until recently, you know, the whole Steve Jobs wearing a, a black turtleneck every day. So he could use his brain function because there's too many decisions. I thought that mm-hmm. was bullshit when I first heard it. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm here, I'm like, oh my God, no, it's a real, <laughs> you need to make your life easier and to make that easier you have a specific style and so they're therefore Mm. like anything that isn't that style you can x out and like i think that's probably why like i really admire your work is it because your style direct i find that like a lot of the directors i admire their physical style looks like what they shoot like like what you look like is how you shoot
2: (laughs) wow well, for, no, thank you. I mean, I appreciate that. And and, and Mo is also going to be a guest uh, this season, or will have been, depending upon when, when these run. But no, it's a, it's, but it, this is why I'm vibing so much on, on, on getting these details on your journey. And actually, I, I got a photo of you, me, and Mo in the Sutton in, in Vancouver in the lobby, I'm pretty sure. Yep. While we were up there. But it's, it, it's, what I hope people take away from, from listening and, and or watching this is that there are so many more layers to working professionally than just being able to do the creative aspects of it. And I'm a, I beat this horse to death. It's those layers that will be the reason you work, not the creative reasons, you know, because um, you were creative before they hired you. You know what I mean? Like you were creative when they watched the short. But it, but the other part, it was like, it was like, you know, you had, you had way too much of that, <laughs> you know, or and you needed to bring the the relationships up to match it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. then you know, when the relationships then elevate the work because now those people become cheerleaders and talk about shit that they didn't even fucking acknowledge before as being better than it might actually be. So now you're here. Yeah. It's just a, it's a weird, it's a weird job on why we do it.
0: I know, right? Mm-hmm. It's it can be torturous, but like it's like the ocean, right? It's like it can be rough, but it also can be beautiful. It's just about how you operate your boat.
2: Damn, I love it. Well, th- this is a question that I, I wish I would have asked more people this season, but it might have just been perhaps my own, I don't know, denial and pushing things to the side. But how have you been holding up during the strike? How do you? You feel? know,
0: I'm. I'm one of the few that actually needed the, like, mm. the stoppage, honestly, <laughs> just to, like, right. get back to, you know, um, self-maintenance, really. And, like, because I, I sort of went through a lot of changes really quickly, and that was mm-hmm. great, but also hard, because if you don't have a good foundation, it's very hard to take in. Like, the input is gonna is going to be difficult to get a great output if things are constantly changing. Like, so many right. things in my life were new all the time that nothing around me was familiar. So I got a little lost, <laughs> like, emotionally. And, you know, because I went from, like, my struggle space, like, it was a very small apartment that was basically the size of this my office now. And I right. only moved out of that last year. And that was right before right. I, like, went overseas to then work. We, where So, like, work suddenly became my, like, not suddenly. Work was kind of always my home because, you know, Being a PA, you're never really at home. You're always working. So the only places I looked at were like, I just need to eat, sleep, and like take (laughs) a shower. Like that's the only thing that matters, you know? So there was like no comfort. I was very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And now Mm. that I'm working, now that I have a space, I now need peace, which means I need to find a, like I need to be comfortable for a minute (laughs) Mm. so that I can actually think and right. have a clear mind and not be not needing to adapt all the time because when you're adapting all the time that's creative and useful on set it's very harmful for you for yourself because then there's mm. no comfort for you so that's what I've been working on during the strike and I you know I went to visit take care of my my help my sister she's got three kids like I helped her do that right. I Moved to Dallas, you know? So, like, I'm here for at least a year, kind of just keeping to myself, staying focused. Because I was never in L.A. anyway, and I didn't want to pay those prices with the place that I was only in for, like, two months, you know? Right, right,
2: right. Right. So,
0: now, with my sister living with me, my youngest sister, Bay, if I leave, she's still here. I don't feel any kind of way about, like, having this place. And it's comfortable. Like, I've got all these things around me, things that help me measure myself not my success but myself and how Mm. i've come because i've realized you really do have to separate what you do from who you are because the moment Mm. i'm no longer able to do what i do i don't want to fall apart feeling like that's who i was only so that's what i've been working on and it's going to make and it's making my art better you know because now i'm more in touch with who i am and a lot less malleable to other people's rules other people's values so my work is going to be I'm really excited I feel like my work is going to be a lot stronger also mid-journey is great like I've been learning mid-journey during the strikes Have uh-huh. been using AI. That?
2: It, that's AI right yeah yeah I know I, I you know I, I've seen some things and people kind of sharing images they've made for like pitch decks which blew my mind which to me feels like a space that i can move through ai and not have a have a sense of guilt <laughs> you know what i mean i feel like oh if i can if i can use it to if i can harness it to like put together something to make an idea when i don't have any money or res- or or additional help to get the shit pitchable then that feels okay because then when we get the money we'll hire real people i won't exactly. be sitting at my desk you know Entering prompts, trying to make a fucking whatever, um, but you know, uh, but that looks very time-consuming.
0: I mean, I I found because I'm not a illustrator, like I'm not I'm not great at drawing yet. Like I'm okay at painting, mm-hmm. like that's the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that I've been doing. Really trying to like so that I can put what's in my mind on the page, because like I spend yeah. hours on Pinterest, I spend hours on Shot Deck. You know, trying to find the exact angle, the exact thing so that it yeah. comes a- so it clearly comes across what I'm trying to do. Cause so often the miscommunication is me putting four or five things together. And instead of being clear what I want, it gets more confusing. And I feel that right. with mid-journey, if you put those four or five things in the same photo or in a couple photos, just narrow it down to make it a little clearer, it's a lot easier to communicate. And where mm. it like where it takes the person. To like really do their due diligence and not be, you know, not take away jobs from people, because I do see how that can, you know, I I do fear for like concept artists, because that's where I think it can be dangerous. But they are the ones still, they're the ones when you can commute, when you, if you can afford that kind of thing, afford a concept artist, like that still beats Mid Journey to me. To me, Mid Journey is for the personal growth and not so much to be used as a tool on an official production.
2: Right. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, well. Let's see how this, how these negotiations pan out. It's a. It, oh God. <laughs> you know.
0: I. I mean, you at,
2: know. <laughs> at the time of this recording, folks, it's it's September thirteenth. I should say that because maybe this plays and and we're all back to work or at least out of the strike. But as it stands right now, no one seems to be publicly talking. And when the when the WGA and AMPTP find an agreement. SAG is up next. And then they've got to talk through all of their issues uh, and finding a, a fair agreement. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm we'll really see. glad
0: they're fighting this fight because I am. It, yeah, I I, it, it, You know, if we'd gone past this negotiation without fighting hard to put some parameters on AI, it, you know, it could be everybody points to Jonah's awful. I just watched it this week. <laughs> Um, on like Black Mirror. And it, you know, that's a real reality. Like all of that. And like suddenly people don't have, there's no heart in the work when you do it that way, though. So I hope yeah. that people will see that and hold on to that because, you know, the moment we let go of real story, real heart, we've lost more than jobs, mm. <laughs> which yeah. you know, jobs are pretty important right now, but we can lose yeah. so much more. So. Fight on, well, unions, fight on. <laughs> fight on.
2: Well, on in, in that case, we are here at the martini question. And you will get, because of your multi-hyphenate expertise, you'll get uh, this one, which I've asked many people. If we were making a movie or or or, or some, I hate the word, but content about your life, here's the question. Who would star as you? Would it be, you know, TV? Would it be film? You know, would it be limited series? You know, whatever episodic. What genre? And then who would direct it?
0: Damn, I I didn't know you were gonna ask this question. I would have. <laughs> um,
2: See now, this has I... got to, This is how this is how you know it is. You get that casting link, and they're like, "Yo, who you, you want to pick? Yeah, Yo, right? you know." <laughs> This you is know, how TV hard. gets made, like, folks.
0: It really is. It it really is just like that. You know, it's funny. I, I the actress I had a pretty c- quick answer, which I was surprised. First time ever because we finally everybody's getting in there. Ayo, I can't remember her last name, but she's on the Bear, and her name uh, is Ayo. Uh-huh,
2: uh-huh.
0: I would def- she would play me, and I'm I am going back and forth between if it's a movie or a miniseries. Um.
2: Ayo Edebiri?
0: Yes. Yes. She, I think yeah. she's fantastic on that show.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I see the Nigerian... The Nija Niger energy is stronger. Now, wow. <laughs> so... <laughs> you know, so I would, I would get her, and then I would... You know, who would I get to direct it? Without it, excluding myself, I would really like to see... Oh, whose version of it would I like? You know what? It's going to throw Michelle Gondry's version.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah,
0: because cool. Internal Sunshine of the spotless, line, the spotless Mind is one of my, you know, favorite trippy movies. And I think if he told my story in something similar to how he does stuff like that, it would yeah. be pretty. Yeah. Now that I've chosen him, I think it's definitely a movie. Like.
2: <laughs> so it's a movie directed by Gondry starring... Ayo etaberi and it is what's the genre? What's the tone?
0: It's uh what is what is the tone? What would we call Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind? Sort of like a, is it a psychological drama?
2: Yeah, that's that's, that's a weird that's a weird one to kind of uh, but
0: That's that's honestly the reason why I chose it cuz it is It is that tone where it's, like, funny, but simultaneously heartbreaking and simultaneously, like, giving you a feeling, a very specific emotion and feeling. But psychologically crazy. Like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) IMDb Pro says it is a drama, it is romance, and it is sci-fi.
0: Oh, that's weird. I wouldn't put sci-fi in there. (laughs) Okay. I think that's weird. I wouldn't put sci-fi. I'd put... I'm surprised psychological thriller well, maybe thriller is the wrong word, but psychological drama. I, I don't know. I I I'd say, yeah, but that honestly sci-fi genre stuff is my stuff. So that kind of makes sense. But yes, that's that's how I would say the tone is. Which, you know, like a little bit of that sorry to bother you visual splash, like mm-hmm. the you know, just okay. a little more vibrant, I'd say.
2: Well, there you have it. Producers, studios, when we're open for business, this is a movie that can be made. Let's make it happen. And in the meantime, thank you for being a guest on the pod. It's been dope to get to know you better because I've been knowing you for a while, but I, I never sat down with you and talked in this much detail. So thanks for being open and sharing.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is so much fun and an honor to be a part of this group. I really love what you do. So thanks for asking.
2: What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on IG via at Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or, hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is produced and edited by the multi-talented cut creator Tristan Nash, assistant produced by the young mogul Jada George, and features the wonderfully gifted Kelly McCreary as our announcer. It's written by yours truly, but I mostly come up with these questions on the fly, which you've probably noticed. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is sponsored by Sweat Equity. So go ahead and get your podcast swag via petechapman.com and leave a review on iTunes if so inclined. That shit matters. All right, folks. Hope you enjoyed episode 59 with director Bola Ogun. Join us next week for the season finale of season four, episode 60, which will be our first full interactive director's roundtable. We have my man, Jeff Bird, who some of you will know from episode 41. We have Mornike Jola Evans. We have Dan Yul L Willis. We have Anya Adams from episode fifty-four earlier this season, and we have Carl Seaton from episode twenty-six. And this is just going to be a bunch of directors on a Saturday morning talking about how they got to where they are, where they think the industry is going, uh, best practices when directing, how they knew they had joined the DGA. Uh, those kind of first horror story moments and more. So in the meantime, y'all stay safe, spread love and keep creating.